Hello, Rebecca Adil here. Um, just a quick note to say thank you to everybody that's been rating the podcast on iTunes and everywhere else. It means the absolute world. And um, I'm so grateful for all the five star reviews. Keep them coming, please. Um, that would be wonderful. Um, additionally, if you do fancy helping support the podcast, you know, make it even better. Um, we do have a Patreon account now and that's patreon.com slash killing underscore time. Um, and you can there become a Bow Street runner or a super sleuth. It's um, up to you. Anyway, on with the show. Welcome to Killing Time, the podcast that investigates the darkest moments of our past to shine a light on wider histories. I'm Rebecca Radil and I'll be your guide. Sit back, relax and listen as we delve into episode 13, The Extraordinary Life of Frederick the Great. On the morning of the 17th of August 1786, Frederick II of Prussia passed away quietly in an armchair in the study of his palace. He was 74 years old and had reigned over the Kingdom of Prussia for 46 years. Renowned for his great military victories, he'd unified and expanded Prussian territories like no one before him. It was a peaceful death, but his life had been anything but. Frederick the Great was a complex man who lived an extraordinary life of profound loss and unprecedented achievement. To explore his life and legacy, I chat to award-winning LGBTQ tour coordinator Dan Vaux. So, Dan, thank you for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you about your... I was going to say favourite death, but that really doesn't sound good, does it? <laughs> your no, no, no. favourite story from history, which just so happens to centre around a death. Yeah, I've picked um, Frederick the Great. So it is going to, I, there's going to be a double death, actually, that comes up. So, Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll reveal all when we get to it, I suppose. Um, but first of all, could you set the scene? So we're in 18th century Prussia. If we were to have a time machine and arrive there right now, what would we see? What would the world be like? So just before Frederick the Great, Frederick II, I'm just going to call him Freddy. I like to call him Freddy. Okay. <laughs> so just before Freddy becomes king, his father is sort of the, the soldier king of Prussia. And Prussia is part of the Holy Roman Empire of the German nation. And Prussia is one of many in this federation. And I think that this soldier king, his father, is really interesting because he has formed probably one of the most powerful armies, one of the most powerful standing armies in the region uh, in order to defend against, you know, the power imbalance at the time. But also at the same time, the land where they're on is actually probably not incredibly fertile. It's deprived of lots of resources, which by the time that Freddie comes along, he will be able to enrich his plot of land and turn it into uh, a superpower. So in Frederick's time, Prussia starts off as a sort of a little league player to becoming the winner of the Premiership League. So it's a, <laughs> it's a dramatic change. 
Okay, okay. So it's kind of like Liverpool FC at the moment. It's got <laughs> Jurgen Klopp at the helm. <laughs> so within all of this mix, we have Frederick, well, he would later become Frederick the Great. Could you tell me about a bit about his personality, what he was like? And I know he was engaged in some military campaigns throughout his life. Yeah, Frederick is really interesting because we think of him as Frederick the Great because of the, the military successes that he had. He enlarged the Prussian region and he was incredibly talented on the battlefield. He sort of led the army in sort of 16 battles that not all of them were successful, but he did enlarge the nation. And so I think that that's, that's interesting. But Freddie was always wanting to be great, not just for his military successes, but also for being an enlightened leader. So he would have legal reform. He would, he considered himself a philosopher. He wrote, he was interested in music and art. He played the flute and he composed music. So he's really wanting to be this holistic leader where he sort of pulls on, on the greatest elements of art and literature and knowledge and military knowledge as well to become an enlightened leader. And Prussia under him does become this this amazing place where it's said that, you know, Freddie would go about among the people and doff his cap when he saw people as well. So there's a sense that equality can exist in this particular place. And there's another aspect to Freddie's life as well, and that's his homosexuality. And did this play into his public life as well as his private life? I think it did. So... There's a rivalry between Freddie and his dad, and this is while he's still the crown prince. So before he becomes king, his father is this very disciplined man who believes that by military might, that is how you will rule your nation. Freddie starts off his life growing up with his mother, and he's taught about art and literature, and he loves all of this. It's completely opposed to his father's thoughts for what a ruler should act like. And Freddie sort of reflects that it's like the Athens is the court of his mother and then Sparta was the court of his father. It was completely different. And I think that his father really wanted him to become a great military leader. And that opposition led Freddie to try to abscond from, from Prussia. He tried to escape and go to Britain ultimately, where on the throne at the time was George. It was another German king. So, you know, he was related to them and he wanted to escape. And he left with uh, Hans von Kat, who is believed to be his lover. Yeah. And he, they both get captured. And there's this tragic moment. This is one of the most tragic moments in Freddie's life. His father chooses to punish both of them. He puts Frederick into prison, he imprisons him, and he has him grilled, asked about 158 different questions, you know, why, 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 why? And part of it is, is to kind of work out what the relationship between the two is as well. You know, there's this question that when he finally goes face to face with Freddie, he goes, did you seduce him or did he seduce you? And now he's the crown prince. So the punishment for desertion is supposed to be death. It's going to be very tricky if he executes Frederick. So he does something that is an even worse punishment for Frederick, I think. It is to execute von Kart. See, he orders the execution of the man that we now would say was his lover, 
they tried to flee together, and he makes him watch the execution from a prison window. And the scene is sort of painted as Von Cut looks up at Frederick, he bows to him, and Frederick looks down at him, sort of reaches his hand through the bars, outstretches his hand and tries to, you know, reach towards him. And then his lover is executed before his very eyes. It, it's absolutely tragic. And I think it's sort of, it, something happens inside his mind at that point. He becomes determined to become king because his father was trying to get him to abdicate. He becomes determined that I will endure all of this and I will become the next king. And when he becomes king at the age of 28, uh, almost a decade later, I think that suddenly there's this glorious coming out. He can suddenly now be the man that he wants to be and live the way that he wants to live. And he raises up palaces. He creates beautiful buildings. He fills his life with beautiful, precious jewels and gorgeous furniture. And he surrounds himself with beautiful men. He makes a palace uh, in Potsdam called Sanssouci, and it is where he goes to let his hair down. And it is an all-male palace, and it really shapes the way that he rules as well. But I also like to think that there is this reminder that he made for himself always of von Kart as well, which is... Where he would do his papers of state was the library, and every morning he'd get up and go into the library. Now, at great expense to him, he acquired this beautiful statue, uh, and it's in his lifetime called Antinous. It's this beautiful boy who has his face slightly tilted up, his hands are outstretched up and towards the sky, and he calls it Antinous. And I think it's really a poignant name that it's given, because if you think about Antinous, the lover of Hadrian, Hadrian lost Antinous when Antinous was incredibly young, you know, in the prime of his beauty. And the way that he mourned for him was on a scale that you just had never seen in the ancient world before. Uh, and Hadrian raised him up, Antinous up as a, as a deity, something that was only, you know, done by four members of the royal family. And so here's this statue at the end of the library you know, outside the window, down this beautiful colonnade in this wrought iron structure that is especially made for it. Frederick would wake up every morning and before he started on his papers, he would look out at it. And I think that that, for the rest of his life, was von Kutt. So a kind of monument to his lost love and the tragedy that he'd experienced as a young young man. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, yeah, it, it really formed the way that he would think as he would put his pen to paper as well. During one of his military defeats, Frederick is famous for quoting, Fortune has it in for me, she is a woman and I am not that way inclined. Yet his interest in battle went far beyond the physical reality. He routinely sought inspiration from great military commanders from classical literature. So if you were in his palace, you would see that there was a huge painting of Ganymede as well. And so I think that he was really playing with the ideas of homoerotic visuals, but also he had, he wrote as well. And there was a poem that he wrote that sort of uh, is incredibly suggestive. And this is showing how he was very well read on the, 
on ancient Rome and Greece as well. And in one of the poems he wrote, he names a whole bunch of uh, Greek people who, you, you, knowing that uh, they were all potential sodomites, uh, there's a, a wonderful line that it finishes with, with a very famous Roman, which is to say, uh, in Frederick's words, there is the great Caesar who the world called the bridegroom of all Roman women and who was at the same time the wench of Roman men. So he was himself sort of playing with the ideas of of these great leaders who were also either bisexual or had homosexual inclinations as well. As king, Frederick was able to create a world for himself beyond the regular laws. Life for homosexual men further down the social pecking order in Prussia was much harsher. I asked Dan what opportunities there were for homosexual men in Prussia at this time. I think if you were a soldier in the Prussian army and you're attractive, the the opportunities might have been quite high. (laughs) It's sort of said that whenever he sort of dined, uh, if he dropped a handkerchief in front of one of his uh, lieutenants, then that was an indicator that they would get to spend an extra 15 minutes with him afterwards. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) that's that's the, if you were a soldier in the army, that would have been fine. But if you were uh, out on the street, you probably weren't in a good position. So the law was based on the Carolina laws. So they were already in play. And that was the laws of the Holy Roman Empire of the German state. So it was that sodomy, which is that includes two men who sleep together, uh, who have sex with each other. Sodomy was sodomy was punishable by death, and that was still in play during Frederick's time. What's really interesting is his father had actually wanted to have a new set of laws created, and it didn't happen in his lifetime. It began in Freddie's lifetime. So Frederick did ask for a complete reform of the law, but it didn't happen in his lifetime. It didn't happen in his lifetime either. It happened just shortly after he died and they actually removed sodomy as punishable by death and had sort of downscaled to being punishable by imprisonment and a removal of all your civil rights. But as we know, whether prince or pauper, death comes to us all. At the age of 74, after a long and illustrious life, Frederick's health began to decline. He suffered from gout and asthma and was a shadow of his former self. I asked Dan to set the scene. To explain his death, uh, to kind of paint a picture of his death for you, I I do need to take you into the V&A. And there's a chrysoprase snuff box that we have there. And it's gorgeous. It's flamboyant. It's beautiful. It's very, very Freddy. It's got diamonds that have got foil beneath it to give it the tint of yellow and pink and these beautiful swirling floral golden scrolls. Now what's really interesting is it sits on a oval shaped bit of stone that's been carved out of chrysoprase and that really helps explain the kingdom of Frederick the Great really. So when he was in his chair because by that time he wasn't able to lie in bed anymore he, he, it was very uncomfortable to lie in bed he would sit in his chair he asked that objects that were made of chrysoprase be brought out to him so that he could see them for one last time so if it was polished or rough he didn't care he wanted to brought out so he could see them and so this snuff box that's at the vna would have been one of the last things that he saw in his life he had filled his palace with this beautiful stone it's this, this sort of apple green color And he always wore a ring of chrysoprase as well. And folklore has it that Alexander the Great also wore chrysoprase into battle because it protected him in battle and and it it meant that he came out of every battle unscathed. So I wonder if part of that 
is in was the reason why Chris Press was always on his body. Ah, so he's feeling an affiliation to um to the great leaders of times gone by. Absolutely. And Alexander the Great as well, if you know the history behind him and the relationship with Hephaestion, I think that's quite important as well. And Alexander the Great was a brilliant military tactician as well. And this is where that military leadership that Frederick does have may come into play again. So Alexander used a style called the oblique formation, which Frederick actually used as well to great success. So he was able to face up armies opposite him that were much, much larger. But by stacking a whole bunch of men on one part of the line, you could actually push into them on one flank and then completely collapse their army. And so it meant that you could stand up against greater odds. And Frederick was beloved by his soldiers as well. So he was known to kind of muck in with the men. He would pitch tents with them as well. Uh, He would occasionally appear on the camp slightly disheveled as well. And that just completely, it created this wonderful image of him as being a man of the people. And there's the Battle of Kunsdorf, where it actually was a huge tragedy for him, where it was an absolute massacre for for his army. But there's a pinnacle moment where he sort of rushes out and he raises his sword aloft and he sort of says, don't desert me, boys, and he rushes forward. And they all kind of go, right, okay, we have to go into battle with him. And they follow him into, into battle. And he sort of is pulled out by his hussars and this mania in his eyes but they pull him out and it's sort of noted that he's saved by a snuff box um, one of the bullets that pierces his jacket actually hit a snuff box and so he, w- he was saved from death on that particular day <laughs> wow and you know snuff was this thing that he was obsessed with this yeah he absolutely loved so snuff is so this snuff box this chrysoprase snuff box why I think the stone is also incredibly important is because it was mined out of Silesia and it was one of the first acquisitions of land that he made. It was one of his greatest military successes. He inherited this wonderful military power from his father and he actually put the sword to amazing use. So his father forged the sword, he, he struck with it and he took this piece of land and from that piece of land comes, in the mines of Silesia, comes this particular stone. And so I think that this is part of his sort of narrative of creating this beautiful space of all these riches that he was able to to take him for himself. And in his own time, he was not just the king in Prussia like his dad, he became the king of Prussia. So that battle between him and his father, I think, plays out here as well. But he asked for all these things of Chrysoprase to be brought out, and he sort of admired their beauty and then he passed away and as part of this having all this luxury around him though he sort of said i lived as a philosopher and that's how i want to be buried you know not with pomp or ceremony but very simply and it was something that didn't happen <laughs> i mean uh yeah his his body was hauled all over germany for about 200 years before it was finally laid to rest where he wanted it to be really so <laughs> wow gosh <laughs> So um, could you tell me a bit about his legacy? Obviously, we know his his mortal remains were on the move for um, a couple of centuries. But what, what was his legacy in, in the German regions, but also more generally as well? Yeah, I think his legacy was almost immediately reversed as soon as he died. 
the heir to the throne was his nephew. Frederick didn't have a son. And, you know, you ask about the homosexuality having an implication on his rule. Well, this is part of that. You know, he banished his wife away. They, they didn't have an heir. So his nephew became the heir. And his nephew immediately starts to dismantle all the homoerotic art that existed in the Palace of Sanssouci. So he took Antinous and he had it sent away. There was a beautiful naked Mars that was in the entrance to the palace that was sent away as well. And he he absolutely abhorred Frederick. Some of the things that he wrote about him was absolutely terrible. And so he wanted to start to dismantle his legacy already. And part of that, I think, was to, to not do what Frederick had asked, which was to bury his body very simply. But he had the body sent to be buried next to his father, which I think for Frederick would have been the worst thing possible. But he also had massive display of mourning as well, lots of religious elements being brought into it. And for someone who was secular, who acted very secularly throughout their life, I think that would have been, uh, you know, again, uh, very much against Frederick's wishes. So the legacy of Frederick, though, that is interesting, that is, yeah, he does come out of this being recognized as a brilliant military tactician, considered one of the greatest military minds of all time. And because that helps play into what was happening with the German state at the time, Napoleon sort of looked at him in his grave and sort of said, if this man was still alive, I would not be here. And then later on, Hitler himself wanted to constantly compare himself to Frederick because of that idea of him being the father of the German state and also being a great military tactician. Of course, his nephew had done a great job of erasing the the elements of homosexuality that was affiliated with, with Frederick as well. That was quite well known. Uh, Voltaire wrote about it quite extensively, you know, the, the entourage of, of soldiers that he would sleep with, you know, all these pamphlets that he's had circulated, you know, it was quite well known in Frederick's time. But by the time that uh, we sort of see modern Germany uh, being created through military might, a lot of that had been completely obliterated. It's interesting to me that he kind of attached or used the legacy and memory of Alexander the Great, that his own name is being used by people, perhaps people that he may not have liked um, later on in history and people that are definitely unsavoury um, from our standpoint. This has been really really fascinating and I imagine that I think you mentioned that one of the objects is in the V&A and you do your tours there is there any indication of when these tours might start again <laughs> just so our listeners could uh, you know perhaps attend if they're interested sure we do the tours at the moment online as well so via my twitter account I, I we've not broken the tradition of doing the V&A LGBTQ tours on the last Saturday of every month so we just do them online at the moment and Frederick the Great was one of the ones featured in the tours recently as well we will keep on doing that until lockdown is over and you'll see us again I imagine hopefully by the end of the year definitely but you know, I, I, I'm missing the collection. I'm missing all the people. And I'd love to see people when, when it all happens again. Uh, one of the things that I think is interesting as well, though, that because of the, the Seven Years' War with Frederick the Great, uh, many collections have lots of objects with him on teapots, on cups, on plates. Because of the relationship between Prussia and Britain, I think he was hailed as a hero here in this country as well. So you do see lots and lots of Frederick the Great uh, throughout uh, our collections all across the country. Oh, well, that's fantastic. Dan, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. 
It's been a treat. Thank you. Frederick's wish had been to be buried without pomp in the vineyard of Sanssouci Palace. Astonishingly, he was moved around so often that this didn't happen until 1991, on the 205th anniversary of his death. <laughs> 